What is your temperament? A podcast brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. What are the benefits and the dangers of understanding the four temperaments? Everyone has one of four temperaments, but which is the best one? What are strengths and weaknesses of the classic sanguine? And how must the sanguine strive to grow in virtue? In this 22nd episode of Our Lady Shock Troops, Kevin Rorty explains how one's temperament affects every relationship, including the interior life and one's relationship with God. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, content director for the Fatima Center, welcoming you to another episode of Our Lady Shock Troops with Kevin Rorty of Soka, Souls of the Christian Apostolate. Good to see you again, Kevin. Hey, David. Great to be with you. All right. If uh, you'll open up today with a prayer, and then we'll dive into some great topics we've got. Great. In the Pater, Spiritus Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, repletorum corda fidelium, etui amoris in eis in name ascende. Mite spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facim terre. Oremus. Deus qui corda fidelium, sancti spiritus illustratione d'acquisti, da nobis neodem spiritus recta sapere, et de eus semper consolatione gaudere, per Christum dominum nostrum. Amen. Amen. All right, Kevin, so today I'd like to get into a subject we've sort of mentioned in some of the previous episodes, but we haven't quite gotten into yet. It may need some introductory explanations, so we'll do that also. But that's namely the temperaments. You know, what is your temperament? Why is it important to know your temperament? And how does that help you in the spiritual life? And this is ancient stuff. I mean, it goes back all the way to the Greeks. Well, why don't you explain this a little bit about what the temperament's just, what is a temperament or what do we mean by this? Yeah, so in a nutshell, temperament is your instinct to respond to stimuli in a way. So you could kind of, see it as the old-school version of personality types, back to the Greeks and Catholics have used these for centuries. And it's really rooted in fundamental understanding of, like, natural elements, um, so, like, fire or water, you know. But that you could kind of put that there's four major temperaments, and they're breaking off into categories based on how quickly you react versus how slowly you react and how deeply you react. So if you react on a more surface level or on a deeper level. And so the, there's four, you know, if you have a little chart, you got those two columns and two rows. And uh, that's how you get the four, the four temperaments. And I would emphasize also that in general, uh, this is something that's really kind of built into you, right? It's, it's usually in your, in your DNA, if you will. So it's not something you necessarily can control your temperament, although each temperament has strengths and weaknesses. And part of the path of growing in virtue and spiritual life is a sort of, let's say, balance those out. So that if you truly had a, a very uh, saintly person, let's take a perfect person like our Blessed Mother or the Incarnate Word, our Lord, if you would look at them, they would almost be a perfect blend of all the temperaments. Right? You wouldn't be able to tell that they were this or that because they had a perfect balance of all of them. Now, we're not that way. You know, people will say St. Peter, sanguine, St. Paul, choleric, so they even identify saints according to these temperaments. But while it is part of sort of built into you, you can lessen or emphasize that within you a little more 
And I think the goal is to to try to seek a proper balance, that golden mean between all in all things that we see as a life yeah. virtue. Yeah, and I, I've heard it said a lot, yeah, that our Lord is a perfect balance. Um, there are two thoughts I have on that. Is One, I think we need to understand balance and truly what virtue is, and virtue not being merely just like there's a line and you're just in the middle of the spectrum, but more like a mountain, and this is at the strongest point of the two spectrums. And so our Lord had all the strengths of each temperament. It wasn't just like he kind of had some of the strengths, but he just didn't have the weaknesses, but it was fully all the strengths of them. And then the other side of it is, I think, you know, sometimes people, it's, it's an important recommendation for people, especially if you read a lot of like books about saints and stuff like that, to realize that God wants you to become saint, fill in your name, not to be the exact same as this or that saint. And that's corollary to the notion that not all the saints have the same personality. You know, so just because you shave off excesses of weaknesses or imperfections or faults or sins, certainly, that doesn't mean that you're going to end up with the same personality. So this isn't this isn't the full spectrum of what personality is. There's a whole lot of other components. But like you were saying, you're going to find differences among the saints even, you know, in their general reactions to things. So. Sure, and like, I mean, kind of, I was just to say, like we say, there's always appropriate times for appropriate things. And so I think the point you were making with our Lord is very well, because there's probably a time where, you know what, you really need to be choleric, per se, or you really should be phlegmatic or melancholic, right? And part of the problem is that if someone knows that this is the danger of the temperance, if someone sort of knows that they're phlegmatic, they can start using that as an excuse. Yeah. Maybe there's an occasion where they, they need to get their choleric blood boiling, if you will. Yeah. But the phlegmatic will be like, oh no, I'm just a phlegmatic, so I'm not going to go, I'm not doing that. That, that's not me. You know, yeah. that's not how I express myself. It's like, well, no, if the situation requires, if virtue requires, if, you know, holiness, if the faith, uh, requires you to, you know, step up right now and be choleric, you got to do that. Or maybe at times you, you got to have the more sanguine in you. So I think what we're saying is that our Lord would have exercised each perfectly at the right time and the right amount to the right degree. So the strengths, as you say, of each one. And I mean, I'll tell you, I think it's really helpful. I I didn't learn about this till much later on. I mean, definitely after college. So I'm probably in my late twenties, thirties when I start reading about these things. And I found it very helpful because I think what's normal is it's natural for us to just think other people are going to react the way we react to a given situation. And obviously it's not that way. And part of the reason is because of your temperament. And so if I thought everybody was like me and then they react the way I would react in, you know, this situation, I think, oh, they, whatever, they're mad or they're this yeah. or they're that because I'm interpreting it through my own lens. Yeah. Whereas if I realize, whoa, they've got a real different temperament, they're going to react to things differently, then I cannot assume the negative, let's say. I can actually assume the good about them yeah. and understand them better. So I definitely think it helps like parents to know the, the temperaments of their children. Cause even like in disciplining your kids, if the kid's got a different temperament, you, you may have to discipline them. I mean, you gotta discipline a choleric differently than you do a melancholic. You're not going to get the same results. So you gotta, as a parent, be switching things up. And even with your spouse, you know, you gotta know your spouse's temperament. That's going to help a lot to sort of keep those things in mind. So it does give you sort of a greater understanding of people and it'll help. But you don't want to abuse it or overuse it. I mean, I've known people who like they walk in a room and they'll like start seeing other people like, oh, you're, you're a phlegmatic, you're a sanguine. And then yeah. they like start pigeonholing them into that. And then like they think they got the other person figured out because, oh, I identified you as this or that. And we know people are more complex than that. I mean, no yeah. one is sort of hardly anyone is, let's say, a hundred percent one of these temperaments. We have a blending of them. And so you have to be careful not to abuse this. 
you know, not to pigeonhole people or yourself, use it as an excuse, but rather really use it to enhance your understanding of your own self and, of course, of others, so as to really improve your relationships and really improve your relationship with God, because that's part of this, that your temperament even affects your relationship with God, right? Yeah, and I think one point uh, in there I would just touch on is ultimately you don't want to try to be a choleric or phlegmatic or sanguine because your goal is to aim for virtue. So like what sometimes people will say is you're acting like a choleric, you know, what you really, what they might mean is what you're acting in a way where you, you're not meek, you're not controlling your anger well. Or on the opposite, like you should, like this is a case that calls for you to be more uh, assertive for the faith, for example, or to defend someone or whatever where you say you need to be more clear. Really what you mean there is you need to be more persevering or more courageous or something like that, you know. So uh, I think it's more appropriate to say you should be this virtue or you're acting with this vice rather than you're acting with this or that temperament just because, like you were saying, a lot of times that can be a scapegoat to not for us or for others to not take responsibility. Now, on the flip side, you know, if you're trying to really be charitable and ease someone into, like, pointing out, fault because you're in charge of them or something like that. And you want to use that as like, you could say something like you can preface with, I know you're more of a sanguine, so you might've interpreted this this way, or you're more of a melancholic. So this might be a difficulty to try to empathize. Like you were saying, that can be helpful for sure. And I would say in my own life, the reason why I was kind of drawn to the temperament is because, you know, I, I went to go live with French people for two years and I had not, I hadn't got into the temperaments. It was when I came back, I realized like temperamentally, like the people I were living with were tended to be older, like, Dominican intellectual French men, you know, their way of communicating and all is very different than not only our American culture, but also my temperament, you know, that can help knowing that that self-awareness and awareness of others can really help, like you were saying, relate to people. And ultimately tying this all together to your spiritual life, you know, to identify your faults, understand your motives and to work toward the end goal, which, you know, keep your mind on the end goal. You want to be able to diagnose the problem in your specific case but then really keep your mind more on the end goal than your specific wherever you are. So those are some good things, I think, to preface before we dive into it. Sure. Maybe just very briefly describe them so people can start thinking a little bit about it. But I think as we describe them more, you might understand that I have, you know, these parts of that, parts of that temperament. Uh, as you said earlier, it has a lot to do with how we react to, let's say, stimuli, any kind of thing. It could be, you know, when someone says something, you know, thought-provoking, do you respond, for example, very quickly? You know, you immediately have something that your thoughts or you have to sort of think about it and ponder about it interiorly. So we have those who will respond uh, quickly and those who respond slowly. Those who respond slowly are generally the phlegmatic and the melancholic, and those who respond quickly are generally the sanguines and the cholerics. And then it's how long does that impression stay with you? If it's sort of fleeting, then you're going to be the sanguine. So the sanguine is just reacting quickly with a fleeting response, whereas the choleric has a quick response, but it endures much longer. And the phlegmatic tends to have the slow response, and it's also kind of fleeting, whereas the melancholic has the slow response, but it endures much longer. So that's just the general way of categorizing yeah. it. There's all kinds of little stories you can have to identify these as well. I mean, one I've always really liked is just, you know, you approach a brick wall. What does somebody do? And so the classic thing is, you know, the sanguine comes up to the brick wall and he immediately just starts talking about the brick wall. Like, why is there a brick wall here? Asking questions, you know, who? Well, with all these ideas flying through their head about the brick wall, but not really doing much, the choleric gets to the brick wall and he's like, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to bust through this brick wall no matter what, because it doesn't stop me. I'm bulldozing it one way or another, climbing it. They will not rest until they've gotten past that brick wall, let's say. 
The melancholy kind of gets and begins to think deeply about why this wall exists. What is the purpose of walls? Why do human <laughs> beings build walls? You know, what's the purpose of this wall? How does it fit into the pattern of the universe? I mean, this is deep thinking, right? And the phlegmatic gets to the wall and is like, oh, well, there's a wall here. I might as well take a nap. It just lies down and, and takes a little nap. I mean, that's just a quip, right? It's just a little cartoon, if you will, to sort of start getting a sense of how different people might react to this brick wall they just found in the middle of their road. Yep. No, that is exactly how I put it, is those four categories. And that's a way, good way to simplify it, too. You can dive into complexities of all these things and, you know, the social personality tests, stuff like that. It's hard to remember and figure out where this spot lands with everything else. But the, that little chart, you know, react quickly or not quickly, react deeply or not deeply, or enduring or not enduring. Those are good ways to kind of summarize them. So uh, why don't we dive into the sanguine temperament? Sure, although just before you say that, one thing, just yeah. so that everyone's put at ease, um, hopefully you got this already, but it's not like one of these is quote-unquote better than another. Yep. Not one is superior to the other. Not one will make it easier for you to get to heaven. I have heard people give talks about how, oh, it's easier if you're this or that to get to heaven, and I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no temperament is, let's say, better than another. You are not exclusively one temperament. You can react in different ways at different times. Um, and again, what you want to really do is capitalize on the strengths of all of them and minimize the weaknesses of each one. And, and that's our goal, helping us to go over just So yeah, let's, let's go right at it with the sanguine. We can start there. Everyone seems to start with the sanguine. Not sure why, but here we go. <laughs> okay. So the sanguine is known as the more sociable type. And to preface again, we were going to try to figure this out so we can see how this orients with the interior life. So, uh, the sanguine reacts quickly, but not the most enduring. Uh, not deeply. They're known as the more sociable types. And here's just a list of some strengths and weaknesses, and we'll kind of dive into it. So some of the strengths of this type, thinking again, right quickly, not that deep, sociable, charismatic, outgoing, competent, warm-hearted, pleasant, lively, optimistic, spontaneous, a preventer of dull moments, a quick apologizer, and someone who makes friends easily. They're more extroverted. So you probably, based on that, you probably can have a good idea in mind. It's someone who's kind of more outgoing in that way, a little more maybe bubbly, a little more energetic, you know, ideas are flowing, stuff like that. But then the flip side of that, you might think, I met a lot of people like that. Maybe they come across a little superficial or they're not people who kind of follow through. You know, that's, again, we don't want to categorize like you were saying, David, because I've met some sanguines that like, if you develop virtue, these can seem some of the best people you've ever met in your life because they already have that friendliness, that, that warmth, you know, but they couple that with discipline and it goes a long way. So here's some weaknesses that they can tend toward. Impulsivity, chronically late, shamelessness, forgetfulness, a compulsive talker, being too loud, distractible, not interested in following through with boring tasks, self-absorbed, an exaggerator, and someone who appears unauthentic. So how would we apply these to the spiritual life? Well, you could think someone who has... When they see the good in God and in Christ and in the mysteries, they're drawn to it maybe more instinctively. They may be naturally drawn, oh, that's good, I want to do that. You know, they have the good initial inspirations. The flip side is the consistency with following through. They're in a down day or emotionally rough day, or they have dryness in prayer, they meet difficulty, they're less likely to follow through. Very concrete with mental prayer, that's what you see a lot, is they'll get this high in the beginning, this excitement, and they'll be doing it, but they won't be doing it with a lot of discipline or a clear habitual schedule and regimen. And so it'll just, it'll fizzle out after a period of time. 
And so the remedies to that would be um, recognizing that sanguine instinct and saying, okay, what do I need to do? What systems do I need in place in my life that are going to help me stay consistent with the spiritual life, as well as not be so drawn by external things? A huge thing that the sanguine is going to need to do for the spiritual life is learn how to say no to social opportunities, to work opportunities, whatever, to stay focused on the most important things in their life. That's a really critical thing. So I'll, I'll let you talk. There's a lot more I could say. But. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that it, I definitely think that as you're saying this, I think for the sanguine, accountability with humans becomes very important because they like to relate to humans. They like yeah. to interact with humans. They like that social angle. And they can be, let's say, flighty, so they can very often begin. You know, they're, they're going to start the New Year's resolution. I'm going to do mental prayer this year, and then within a week it's gone. And they can still have this goodwill. So, again, the next month they start it up again, and then it's gone. And, yeah. and so they can just go from that project to that project, always leaving it and never staying with it. But if they have a human relationship of accountability that's also sociable for them, and that keeps them on task. That might be one of the real necessary things they need to to stay with, let's say, mental prayer. So we all, you've talked about systems of accountability. I think for them, especially a human person that they can interact with and talk to, because that's one of the things that they're trying to do. They're trying to talk to a little bit. Um, and that might even be one of the things that frustrates them in the mental prayer, that they don't hear God talking to them. And, and they want a quick response from God because they're so accustomed to giving quick responses that they aren't that accustomed, let's say, the persevering or, or being the, the patience that oftentimes God requires from our prayer life. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think making a clear plan to a clear um, daily schedule is really important for them to have certain routines because otherwise they're the ones who are much more easily going to be taken into like, oh, um, yeah, I might go to bed at some point tonight, and then they're up till 3 in the morning, you know, or – or they're out with their friends. Like I, I mean, I think a lot of young people, you know, but like that, that stuff happens, you know, especially with the sanguines. Um, and so they need to at least be accountable to themselves. Like, okay, I have this, these are my guidelines. These are my parameters of living, you know, um, little things like being ordered with, you know, like cleaning your room, putting things in a planner, having a system to organize things can be really helpful because they have all these good ideas and a lot of good desires, but then, you know, like you're saying with the brick wall, like, okay, you thought about it a lot, like, you know, you've had all these questions and all, but what are you going to do about it, you know? And then some mortifications I'd recommend um, that are going to be very prevalent are going to be when you're tempted to over-talkativeness, to learn how to restrain your speech, to moderate it, especially if it's something like gossip, like certainly that, that's just evil. So don't don't partake in that and uh, try to divert conversations if you can. Um, or at least get away from them. And then some other things, little impulses throughout the day, be able to recognize like, okay, I need to stop and reflect. Should I do this or not? If you just do that for half a second, it's going to kick in your, your prefrontal cortex. It's going to kick in your rational thinking, not your impulsivity. And you're going to be like, Oh, maybe I should moderate this. Or I shouldn't do this or whatever. And another danger, especially in today's world is, especially the sanguine will be being drawn to reward before effort. If you're trying to develop like some virtue or whatever, but you're more inclined toward some entertainment or whatever, then if you do the entertainment first, you're going to be much less inclined to virtue. You have to do the things that are going to be less stimulating first and gradually go on from there. 
Um, so order in your life is so critical for a sanguine. They learn to order their life. I've heard it said that the purgative stage for the sanguine, fewer sanguines will get out of the purgative stage than the other temperaments because the sanguines are particularly drawn even more so than the other temperaments to things like gluttony or physical pleasure, even lust. But if they can overcome those initial things, that's what a lot of the purgative stage is about is purging the senses, then they tend to understand the other, the deeper like heart to heart stuff, which is what a lot of the, the later stages are fundamentally purging us of is like learning true, authentic, crafting our heart after God. The sanguines, I mean, you know, this is very relative, but I've heard it said that they, they'll be more disposed to that because, you know, if a cleric is like, I'm just going to not do these things, you know, be really ordered. And then they get past that initial stage, but there's a huge wall of pride and obstinacy and stubbornness. I mean, we'll get into cholerics later, but then that's, that's, that's what a lot of this next, next stage is about purifying up. So those are some other, other thoughts. Yeah. No, I think, and definitely for the sanguine, um, well, you say you hit it with mortification. They, they have to learn to say no a lot. I think that's very difficult for the sanguine. As we said, they're spontaneous, they're lively. So someone comes up with a good idea or they, they come up with a lot of good ideas and they simply just want to go run off and do that idea, even just for a little while. Uh, they got to be able to say no. So that's a big growth for them in terms of mortifying themselves and saying no to themselves. Um, it's not going to come easy to them. It's difficult. And obviously, when you do something difficult like that, there's greater merit for you, greater spiritual merit. Uh, we all have to mortify ourselves, obviously. But I think in particular, the same has got to learn to say no more to a lot of their ideas because, as you say, they can get yeah. very dissipated, right? I mean, it could be like in the prayer life. You might be like, oh, I just heard about St. Therese and her little way. and I'm going to do it. I'm going to read it. And you start reading St. Therese's little way. And then a week later, you're like, oh, I heard Kevin talking about the Psalms on that other show. I'm just going to yeah. dive right into the Psalms. And now they're just praying Psalms. And then they're like, oh, I heard that, you know, I should be doing, you know, this other thing. And, and yeah. in the spiritual life, it's like they're just bouncing around from sort of like one thing to another without ever – taking the time to really delve deeper in any of them. And so then, yes, they've made superficial, so they got to just say no to it, even though it sounds very attractive and very appealing. Yeah, if they want to run off and get it, they got to say, no, like, I, I have to stick with this because I know this is, like, my natural weakness is to not stick with it. So I, I've got to keep going, right? Whereas, like, again, like, yeah, the choleric, he's the one who, who never wants to change in his schedule. And if you try to change the schedule at all, he won't be flexible. He'll get all angry at you. So you got to that's where you got to balance those. But, um. No, I mean, that's anything else for the sound. I know we're running out of time here, so we'll have to get to the other temperaments next time. But uh, other thoughts Yeah, the last thing I would say in the interior life, I think a strength of the sanguines is that personability and that warmth. So utilizing that in your relationship with God, that is good to be able to have that very friendly intercourse with God and seeing it in that way. You know, we've talked about that, but um, that can be a huge benefit to, you know, motivating you, inspiring you to want to come back to prayer and to have that authentic communication with God especially when it comes to mental prayer in the interior life. Sounds good. Well, thanks. We won't uh, necessarily abandon the sanguine. We may come back and mention other things, but uh, next time we'll certainly try to dive into some of the other temperaments as well. And we hope that this is helping you uh, develop your interior life and also understand the interior life of others and how you can you know, use the strengths and weaknesses of all the temperaments. Go ahead and close the prayer. The Hail Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedita tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostrae. Amen. Amelia Fatima, pray for us. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. We'll see you in a couple weeks.
Thanks, David. God bless. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the glory of God and salvation of souls. Our Lady of Ransom, pray for us.